Today, um, the topic of my sermon is be strong. The topic of my sermon is be strong, and of course, it's from 2 Timothy. So I just want to talk about be strong. And just before I read the scriptures, um, what comes to your mind when we talk about being strong in this life, in this world? What comes to your mind in this world when we talk about being strong? How does the world perceive strength? Okay, so I mean, obviously, the world perceives strength if you look like you're strong, which means um, obviously everybody knows Dwayne The Rock Johnson is very strong, all right, because he looks strong. So workout, gym, you know that you know strong. You gotta, you know, that's all over all over social media now these days. Your workout, what's your workout routine? What's your gym routine to be strong? But another part of being strong is you, you gotta eat healthy to be strong as well. So eating healthy is strong, whatever that means for everybody, all right. So some people is no sugar. So I was just talking to somebody, um, and, and he was telling me that I'm fasting from all sugar. And I was like, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. <laughs> How do you do? How do you achieve that? I don't know. And, uh, and my prayer until next 40 days fast and pray is, Lord, do not convict me to fast sugar for 40 days. Uh, oh, that's the fear. Uh, I, I'm a sweet tooth, by the way. All right, choose vegetable, meat, and dessert. Dessert it is, okay? Uh, I choose restaurants by the good drinks that they serve, all right? Not by the good food. That's just, that's just me. Um, so that's just strong. What else is strong, right? If you, got, if, you're, if you look successful in the world, you know, you got it all together, you got a big house, big car, you know, big job, you're strong. So everybody think Elon Musk, strong. You know, uh, Zuckerberg, strong, all right? These are strong men in this world. Or you've got power, politicians, you know, strong. This is how the world defines strong. Now, I'm not saying... Biblically, God doesn't say it's not strong. But I want to bring us into a greater revelation of what strong means in the Bible. <coughs> it's something that God does, but it's also something that we need to do in order to be strong. So let's read 2 Timothy together, and then I would like to talk about being strong. Is that okay? Let's read 2 Timothy 1, 2, 3. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Amen. I'm going to end today with this portion of scripture 
because it is in this portion of Scripture that drew all my attention when I read 2 Timothy chapter 2. But So before I end, I want to ask a question. I want you to think about it. So today I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I want you to think about it, and then I'm, I'll, I'll tell you what God has spoken to me at the end of my sermon. What is the difference between enduring and faithfulness? What is the difference? All right? Is God an enduring God, or is He a faithful God? You know? So we know God as a faithful God, is God an enduring God? Is that a name of Jesus that He is an enduring God? So what's the difference? Like, we are called to endure, but called to be faithful. Why did God say, if we are faithless? Why can't God say, if we are faithful, then something will happen to us? So I want to draw the difference, and I want to explain that there is a huge difference between enduring and faith, and God has called us to both, and this is how Paul ends. It's a beautiful ending of, of 2, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. But before that, I want to talk about being strong. We've got to be strong in this life. I want to define what strength really is. So we know what the world defines as strength. What does God define as strength? It says here in verse chapter 1, You then, my son, Paul to Timothy, so it's very, it's very endearing, not endearing, it's very endearing that Paul calls, calls Timothy his son, all right? So uh, anyways, uh, he's a spiritual son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The definition of strong in the Greek is endinamo. Oh, ah, there we go. I, I, I memorized it, but now I'm slipping. Endinamo, and it means endue, enabled, empowered with strength, receiving strength to be made strong. Now, it's a very important why this definition is this definition for a few reasons. There is only eight times in the New Testament that the word strong is mentioned, endermao. That's only eight times. So we would think that, hey, you know, it's such a good word, it's such a, it's such a strong word, you know, shouldn't it be mentioned many more times? No, it's only mentioned eight times. Therefore, the context of the word strong is very specific um, uh, uh, and very precise, all right? So the eight times that Paul talks about strength there is a particular context to when he talks about strength. This is a strength where Paul is going through very difficult times of his life. For example, when he wrote 2 Timothy, and the word strong is mentioned twice in 2 Timothy, once in 1 Timothy. The word strong is because he's writing it as a prisoner, a Roman prisoner. Now, as a Roman prisoner, if you know, you know, um, in a jail cell, now, okay, Go, go to Saturday sermon. My wife put up a very nice picture, and then I asked her, "Can I have that picture for my sermon?" She said, "No, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I did not ask her. I just had to say that because she's right here. Uh -huh. No, she didn't say that. I didn't ask, but I didn't know she was, it was going to be in the sermon. Yeah, yesterday I saw. It, I said, like, oh, I wish I had it for my sermon. Um, but it was a very nice picture. Go watch it. Um, but in that jail, all right, in a in a Roman jail, you would sit there, and truth be told, in a hardcore criminal Roman jail, they will lower you in." And that's about it. They will not put any effort into feeding you, cleaning up after you, or whatsoever. There is no such thing as human rights back then, all right? There's only Roman rights. So if you're a criminal, you have no more rights. So back then, criminals, hardcore criminals, will require their friends to give them food, and in Paul's case, to give them 
a, a, a letter and a pen in order to write something. So because he wrote this in prison, he has to have something to write. So, he, so for example, in, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, it says here, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. You see here, when Onesiphorus visited Paul, he would bring Paul food, and that's how Paul ate and survived, because Rome would just be happy if you just stay there and just pass away, just die, right? So he gave him food. And then not only food, he gave him clothing. So back in Rome, if you read Romans chapter 16, it's clothing. I thank you for clothing me because my clothing is not enough. It's cold in the prison cell. And thank you for giving me a pen and a letter to write so that I can pen my thoughts in prison. And that's the context of the, Bi of the, of the people in the Bible when the Bible uses the word strong. It's when you are going through a difficult time, be strong. It is going, when you're going through persecution, be strong. If you're going through just disappointments and discouragement, be strong. Number one, that's the context. Number two, whenever the Bible talks about in this word, be strong, it is not a strength that we can have on our own. It is not something that we work towards to. It is not something that we can develop. It is not something that we can have a talent for, have a skill for. It is a strength that can only be given by the Lord God Almighty through the grace of Christ Jesus. That's why in, 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 in the definition it says you are empowered with strength. You have to receive that strength. You have to be made strong. And therefore, the word strong in the Bible is something that God imbues in you by the grace of Christ Jesus for you to be able to overcome whatever you are facing right now. Whatever difficulties you are facing, God gives you the strength to overcome because in our own strength, we are unable to overcome until He enables us to overcome. That is the strength of being strong. And the Lord has commanded us, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, be strong, be courageous. Be strong, be bold. And in 1 Timothy is, I have enabled you. So the word enabled in 1 Timothy is also the word strong. So when you see God has enabled you, it means God will give you that strength. God will give you the extra mile in order for you to be strong and do the right thing in order for you to overcome your difficulties. You know, um, many, more, many years ago, I was counseling a, a guy um, and he had a great amount of family problems. Um, he told me all of it, um, which I will not share. But he had a lot of family problems, and it was on the verge of disowning, it's on the verge of you know, cutting ties, no more communication whatsoever. And of course, we were praying together, and then the Lord said, go and forgive them, go and love them, and go and be a good Christian to your family. And the guy says, impossible. That is not something I can do. That is not something. Do you know how many times they have pushed me out of the house? Do you know how many times they have kicked me out? Do you know how many times they have done this to me? Do you know how many times they have insulted me and they called me names? Do you know how many times in all the years I've been through this? And the Lord spoke and the Lord still says, go and forgive and love because I am love and you are called to love because you are a Christian. Follow me. And in that moment, when we were praying, I think the prayer went like something like this. It was so many years ago. God, if you ask, I will. I don't have the strength. Give me strength. 
That is the end in my all that God wants to give you. When you know in your own flesh and in your own accord and in your own talents and abilities, you cannot. You have no ability to, but only with the empowerment of Christ that you can. Only with the grace of Christ that strengthens you, then you can. And he did. And good news is, he's okay with his family today because the Lord has strengthened him to do something he cannot do in his own flesh. And that is something only the grace of God can give. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through a difficult time, I want you to be encouraged that the grace of God is with you. The grace of God wants to enable you, wants to strengthen you, wants to make sure that you have the strength to do the right thing. And when you do the right thing and you honour God, God will always honour the act that you've done and He will always carry you through. That is why Paul says to Timothy and God says to us, be, be, be. We're called to be strong. It is not just a strength that the world respects and can see. It is a strength that only the grace of Christ Jesus can give you. Amen? And that's why the Holy Spirit is so important. Because without the Holy Spirit prompting you, speaking to you, living in you, how do you know that you are enabled and you have the strength to carry on? Ah, hallelujah. But if part one is the grace of God that fully enables and gives us that strength, gives us that enablement, gives us that empowerment, because it's fully by the prerogative and fully by the enthronement and the sovereignty of God that He gives us that grace, then part two of my message has to be, but what about our part? What then do we do? Just sit back and relax and do nothing. All like that, oh, Christian life, very good. Huh? Hallelujah. Everybody should be a Christian, eh? Right? Everything I go through, Jesus, thank you. Boop, zap, done. All right? Every difficulty I go through, thank you, Jesus. Boop, done. All right? That's a good Christian life. That's why Paul then adds the second part in. What's the second part? I want to read this part, all right? So no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. That is the best part. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. It just means that this is a parable. Now, I want you to think. God says, reflect on all this and the Lord will give you insight, which means that this is, this is a deep parable. This is a parable that has meaning, layers of meaning, and God has to give you insight for us to understand this. And today, I can't give you all. I want to give you what God has spoken to me, the, God, the insight that God has spoken to me, but as sure as you go home and you meditate on it, you reflect on it, God will speak to you in your circumstance, in your own way, and whatever God wants in His sovereignty wants to say to you. But I want to show you the next picture. Then I want, you to, give, I want to give you a time to reflect. What does this three, which we just read, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer have in common? Why did Paul write these three? Why did he say a teacher? You think teacher, not hard life? Huh? Very hard life. Why did he say a pastor? He should have said pastor. <laughs> hard life, right? Alive. What is it? Why these three? Why not pastor, teacher, you know? Why? Reflect. What do they have in common? What do you think? What do you think they have in common? Any clue? Okay, this is a big cell moment. Feedback to me. Shout at me. What do you think they have in common? Stamina? Committed? 
Hardworking, it's true. Focus, sleepless nights. Yes, okay, it means like, yes, sleepless nights. Okay, true. Hardworking, focus, committed, stamina, uh, uh, hardworking. These are all true answers. Great, but this is what God has spoken to me, okay? It's very, very close. It's for these four words. Diligence, discipline, dedication, and dependence. Diligence, discipline, dedication, dependence. I want to ask the first question. What's the difference between diligence and discipline? What, what? Any English teacher in the house? English professor? Oh, yes. Mm, hello, teacher. This is a check good at me. What's the difference between diligence and discipline? What do you think is the difference? All right. Do we want, is it better to have diligence or better to have discipline? Which one? Which one would you prefer? If God were to say, choose one, what would you choose? Diligence or discipline? Okay. Not the, oh, by the way, discipline has two meanings, right? Not the rebuke, scolding, and, and correction. This is discipline where it's, you know, it's a fundamental, there's a routine to it, okay? That's the other side of discipline, all right? Okay, so here is where they all have in common. They have these four things in common. The difference between diligence and discipline is this. Discipline is a routine, a schedule that you set and you keep to it, and that's it. That's a discipline, which means that if every four o'clock you need to pray, every four o'clock by hook or by crook you pray. For example, in my life, from Tuesday to Friday, there is a discipline. Sometimes it's, I don't think most of it is by my own doing, but there's a discipline. Let me show you, let me explain to you my daily schedule, all right? 6.30, the boys are my alarm clock, all right? They will wake me up by hook or by crook. I don't understand why. Somebody please explain to me why. They sleep at 8, they wake up 6.30. They sleep at 12, they wake up 6.30. They sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning, they wake up 6.30. I just do not understand. Then, obviously, there are some mornings where we tell them, your rule now is you cannot come into daddy's room to wake me up. You wake up, you just stay there until daddy come get you. Nope, they will still come and wake me up. All right, so 6.30 is my alarm clock. I wake up, I hook up my crook, then prepare them breakfast, whatever they did. When I say we, I mean her, okay? <laughs> That's just the truth. <laughs> she's, she's better at me, at, uh, better than me uh, at doing it. Sometimes daddy just needs just one more minute of sleep. Uh, one more minute of sleep means I'm less grumpy. Ah, hallelujah. <laughs> Anyways, we have to go to school. We have to go to school by eight, by hook or by crook. All right? All right? And every morning, it's always, why do I have to go to school? Do I have to go to school? Why come he get to go first? Do I get to eat with you? One minute longer, I'm still hungry, dad. Let's go home. I'm still hungry. No, you've eaten enough. We have to send them to school. Then we work from nine to, to four o'clock. We pick them up from school. We, we, we make sure they live, they don't die. Uh, dinner and everything. We make sure they sleep by eight o'clock. And then we do ministry, we do cell, we do meetings, we do discipleship, we read the Bible, prepare for sermons, whatever it may be. We sleep at 12, rinse and repeat for my whole life. That's a discipline. Which means that whatever time of the day, if you know me well, you kind of know what I'm doing in that kind of the day, that's all, all right? That's a discipline. And, and what's the difference between discipline and diligence? Diligence is the perseverance to carry out your discipline until the end. That's diligence. So diligence and dedication are very closely linked. The, 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 the meaning are, are very closely together. But it means that I have the diligence, I have the dedication to see it through. Which means that I don't say, ah, God, I only uh, 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 um, pray today, but tomorrow I give up. I only pray for one week, then tomorrow I give up. Can you imagine in this life if a parent were to say that to the kids? All right, kids, I have the discipline to have this schedule. I make sure you live for two weeks. But after two weeks... 
I'm done. I'm just, that's it. I'm, I, I give up. I have no diligence. And after two weeks, kids, you're on your own. You find your way to school. You find your, your own breakfast, your own lunch, your own dinner. Thank you very much. That's all my role. Can you imagine uh, uh, a young parent ever saying that? So we don't do it. Can you imagine if we do that for work, right? I have a discipline to come to work nine to five. After two weeks, you tell your boss, boss, thank you very much. No more, all right? Now it's like a, 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 a 10 to 4 kind of work arrangement. Nobody does that. So if we treat the world and what our responsibilities are in the world, my next question is, what about our Christian life? Do we do the same for what we practice in the world with our Christian life? Is there a discipline, a spiritual discipline in our Christian life? For example, every time I worship, not, uh, but this is not a boast, this is just somewhere I would love the church to go. Every time I worship, there is the discipline of engaging the Holy Spirit so that it's not just words, it's not just lifting of hands, it's really the engagement of the presence of God. That's a discipline, a spiritual discipline that I, that I hold myself to. That's a discipline. Is there a discipline of reading? Is there a discipline of praying? Is there a discipline of something? What is your discipline? And even if you have a discipline, what is the level of your diligence? Discipline could also mean I come to church on time. I come to church, okay? So the two are very closely linked, all right? Coming to church is a discipline. Coming to church on time is also a discipline. And we need the diligence to do both. I come to church as a discipline. I go to cell, that's a discipline. Do we have those disciplines? Because I know why God put soldier, farmer, and athlete in it. Because at the end of the day, God could give the talents of a sharpshooter or a greatest athlete or the best farmer in the world. God could give you and imbue you with the skills, the talent, the gifts to do it. But if you do not have the diligence and the discipline, you cannot finish the race. I want you to imagine an athlete, right? You never practice, all right? I, I was just watching, I was very recently watching a TV series. Uh, I, I, I told myself between second service and third service, I will research the name, I forgot. Is it the last game, the last match, the last something? It's about Michael Jordan. It's about Michael Jordan and his six championship rings. So out of all the series to watch, I, I'm a big fan, okay? Anyways, um, if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, no, I think you do, because you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, so you do, you do, you do, you do. It's the first service that may not, may not, no, no. They know Steph Curry and LeBron James, okay? So anyways, when, when, I, when I hear Kobe Bryant and I hear Michael Jordan, one thing that really stands out to me is their discipline in life is unmatched compared to any other athlete in the world. They would wake up at three in the morning, they would take a cold shower for some scientific reason, they would eat a certain type of food in order to regenerate their muscles or whatever it is, then they would hit the gym. There was another uh, a pro, pro basketballer that what, when he was commenting about Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, he says, I made it a point, I'm quoting him, I made it a point that every morning I will be first to hit the gym and first to hit the breakfast table because they live together, right? And every morning as he entered the gym and hit the breakfast table, which, by the way, was at five, he said Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan would have already finished one set of workout, taken their shower, and eaten their breakfast, and now they're ready for the second set. And they would do that for 25 years. The discipline and the diligence, and the world can see that they are world champions. And that's the whole schedule for the day. And I go, wow, if only we can have the same tenacity, the diligence, and the discipline in our life. 
in order to connect with God. Can you imagine when we're running this race, what we love to pray as Christians is, God, give me a word. God, speak to me. God, give me a revelation. Good. Keep praying those things. But if I was God, if I was God, and I'll make a very bad God, and I'm not God, but if I would also say in my own flashly to, 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 to my son, I would say, hey, what's the point? If I give you a word, you don't even know your scriptures. You don't even know it's from your scriptures. Hey, what's the point? If I give you a word, you don't even pray. So you, you, you can't pray the word into, into fruition, into the, into the future. If I give you a revelation, you say, wow, revelation, and that's about it. So what's the point? Can you imagine? I mean, it's not so far-fetched to imagine, right? And I want us now to think of the opposite. I want us now to get ready because what, whenever time, you know, before I came into full-time ministry, I remember very clearly about nine or 10 years ago, I said, God, I think I'm called for full-time. I think I'm called for full-time. I know you're calling me for full-time. And I feel I've got confirmations here and there, and, but I remember God challenging me this at least one year before I came into full-time ministry. I remember he asked me, I said, if, I, if you go into full-time ministry today, are you ready? I said, ready for what? Are you ready in your spirituality and are you ready to serve? Are you ready to be humble and serve? And I went, I'm not ready, which is why I didn't come in in 2013. I only applied much later because I took those one or two years to ready myself to be disciplined in myself. And it is in those one or two years that I would study the Bible cover to cover, that I would develop my prayer life because I knew that the race ahead of me, I didn't know what I was going to happen in eight years later, but back then I knew the full-time ministry race is not going to be an easy one. There will be temptations left, right and center and I need to discipline myself with diligence in order to, when God gives me that word, I will be able to carry it and bring it to fruition. Carry it and bring it to fruition. So I want to give you the last analogy. If I say to you right now, you will be a track and field 100 meter sprint champion, you will beat Usain Bolt's uh, 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 world record. You say amen, amen. Okay, amen, who knows, hey, amen. But you do nothing, you no practice understand nothing. I can say all I want to say, will it happen? Unless by a miracle the lightning strikes down the earth parts and all the other athletic pengsan, then maybe you can write, right? Correct? Me as well, right? Then maybe by the world, then the timing, every stop clock spoil everything, then maybe, all right? Usain Bolt did it in nine seconds, we will do it in nine minutes, okay? We will cross that finish line in nine minutes, right? It's the same thing for our spiritual life. When God wants to give you a word, when God wants to give you a prophetic word, a revelation in your life, we need to be ready to host that presence. We need to be ready to be a vessel to carry that word and to move it forward and to pray it into being. You know, every time we see Old Testament prophecies, right? God says this, this, this. Do you know the time span between God saying this to Isaiah and it actually happens is decades, decades. But in the Bible, it's one page different. So we think it's like, wow, God speak, now it happens. No, God speaks, decades later, it happens. Same thing for our lives. If we're not ready, we're not prepared, we're not diligent, we're not disciplined in our Christian life, we're not dedicated, nothing will happen. God can imbue you with the strength, but still nothing will happen because we cannot carry that strength. And the last D is important, dependence. You see, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer is dependent on somebody in order for them to be the best version of themselves. 
A soldier is dependent on its commander-in-chief to train, to have discipline, to give the war strategy, to say, you do this, you do this, this is your role, this is your function, this is the strategy, this is the objective, this is why we're doing it. That's, that's the commander-in-chief. A soldier will be nothing if it's not dependent on the commander-in-chief. An athlete is dependent on the coach. You're going to need a coach. This is how you train, this is what time you wake up, this is what time you eat, this is how you eat, this is when you gym, this is how you practice. You're doing this wrong, you're doing this right, do this better, do this more. Train, 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 train in order for you to be a good athlete. For example, before Michael Jordan won his first, and the only reason I know this fact is because I watch it, okay? The first championship ring, you know he shot at least 10,000 baskets. Shoot, every day, just to practice to get one championship ring. That's the practice. What about a farmer? What does the farmer, or whom, or what, or who is the farmer's dependence on? You see, back in those days, when you are a farmer, you are dependent on your parent in order to teach you the trade. You cannot just choose to be a farmer. You wouldn't know how to plow the field. You wouldn't, know, you wouldn't have the equipment. You wouldn't have the, the animals. You wouldn't have the know-how to plow the field, whether you're a paddy farmer, fig tree farmer, olive tree farmer, barley farmer, whatever it may be, you don't have the skills. Therefore, in those days, for if your father is a barley harvester, you are a barley harvester because your father would have passed on that skills to you. So even a farmer needs a guide, a coach, in order to teach him or her the trade in order for that person to be a successful successful farmer. And that's why in the, in the picture I showed, two farmers. Because more often than not, you are going to need somebody to teach you, right? So for example, when I grew up, I know, when you cook rice, how much water do you put in the rice cooker to cook rice? This much, right? Like, what is this much in milliliters? Nobody knows. It is just this much. That's how we know the wisdom of the mother to the son just this much, all right? But if I ask somebody and I say, how much rice water do you put in the rice cooker? And they, they tell me, oh, by the way, it's three cups of water, it's 150 milliliters. I know you, you have been coached by the instruction manual, not your mother or your father. That's that your coach, not this coach. That, it is the way it is. The skills are being transplanted, the skills are being handed down, and it's the same for us. Whether we're a soldier, a farmer, an athlete, a teacher, a baker, a pastor, an engineer, a doctor, whatever you may be, the dependence need to be on Christ. We need to be learning, being guided, being led by Christ, our master, in order for us to run this race and to have the victor's crown. And that is why in order to be strong, we are going to need Christ who imbues us with the power and the strength of His grace that lives in us, but we also need to have the diligence, the discipline, the dedication, and the dependence on Him in order for us to take that strength and do what we are called to do. We, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a two-handed handshake. It's not just one. And I just, sometimes we wish as Christians, all of us, we wish. We wish we can just pray, 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 and that's it. Everything is done. But we all know that is not how it works. It works by this. Amen and hallelujah. But it's not easy. Dedicating yourself to go to cell is not easy. Committing yourself to be a cell leader is not easy. Being diligent in reading your Bible is not easy. 
be disciplined in choosing a cell and choosing a church to say, this is my church, this is my cell, and I'm going to plant myself here, is not easy. But God says it is fruitful. Just because you want the fruit doesn't mean it always has to be easy. I know because I grew up with a dad in a house that I, we used to grow our mango trees and all the lalangs and everything, and I have to cut them. His role is to grow them, my role is to cut them, the grass. I know it's not easy, but at the end of the season, when he reaps the fruit and we get to eat the fruit, it's sweet. We go, wow, I plant this mango tree for five years. Dad, we got one mango. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> not worth it. But in this life as a Christian, worth it, okay? That was a bad analogy. I don't know why I said that. Uh, but in Christian life, it's worth it. You will get more than one mango. You will get mango O's, E-S, sweet and not mushy and smushy with all the ants. Hallelujah. I want to I go to my, fourth, uh, my last point. I want to explain this. So as I've already said, to be strong, you need the strength of grace, the grace of God that no one is qualified to have. It's just God in His favor just gives it to us. Then we need to have the discipline and the diligence in order to carry that strength and move forward. But we also need this. This is the encouraging part of the marrying of God's grace and our, our, our strength. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we also live with Him. Now what does die with Him mean? So in the Greek, it means to be baptized in Christ. To be baptized in Christ is a baptism of repentance. The baptism of repentance is a dying to our flesh and the dying to our sins. And it's so clear, it says, as you run this race and you fight this good fight, die to your sins. Because when you die to your sins, you will live with Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Then it says, I skipped to the third one, if we disown him, he will also disown us. So there's a warning here, there's a caution, the Christian manual comes with a caveat and a caution, it says, do not disown Christ. How do we disown Christ? With our mouth, we publicly declare that we, we, we reject him, we no longer believe in him, and we turn our backs to Jesus Christ, that is disowning him, and then Jesus says, he will also disown you. But now, if we endure, we will reign. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. What is the difference between enduring this race and to be faithful to this race? Is it the same? If it is the same, why is it in two different sentences? Why is it in two different uh, uh, words? Because it's not the same. It's not the same because the definition in the Greek is not the same. The definition of endure is hypomeno. Hypomeno means to persevere, to suffer, to be patient. Faith is pistos. It's more of a not pistos. It means to show yourself faithful, to show yourself trustworthy and reliable, and to show yourself as loyal. Endure is a passive word. Faith is an active word. Let me explain. To endure in this life, okay, I'll keep to this. To endure things in this life means to be strong, to stand firm, to be immovable, no matter the rain, the stones, the pellets, the sunshine, and the raw weather, 
hits you. It means to persevere, it's to suffer, it's to be patient, which means that I'm, I'm not doing anything, I'm just enduring. I don't know what else I can do to save this situation, I'm just enduring. So the sun may hit you, the rain may, they may wet you, the wind may blow against you, the earth may crumble, but you are still standing strong, you are still enduring. So it's not, it's nothing that you are doing, it's everything that the world is coming up against you. Which is why in the whole book of Timothy, uh, 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 Paul keeps saying, endure, endure, endure. Why? Because he himself is enduring. He himself is a prisoner in prison and he cannot do anything. All he can do is to endure the hardship and the suffering that he is going through. But some of us here, you know, and, 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 and you know, I don't know, but you know that you are in a season of endurance. There's nothing you can do. Maybe you've got a health problem. What could you do? You're just hit with this thing and you've just got to endure it. Maybe you've got a relationship problem. You've got to endure it. Maybe you've got a work problem. Maybe you've got a cell problem. Maybe whatever problems you may have, you are just called to endure, to finish this race and to hope and pray that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But faith is slightly different. Faith is in the endurance of your life. Are you trustworthy? Are you still loyal? Are you still reliable? That is faith. I'll give you a good example. COVID-19, MCO. When the, when the whole Malaysia is called to quarantine and to lockdown, we've got no choice. You can scream, you can fight, you can shout. You've got no choice unless you want to go to jail. So we endured the quarantine. We sat in our rooms, we sat in the house and we endured it. No choice, Bobian, let's go through this. Let's just pray that the quarantine will be three months, not six months. All you can do is hope. That's it. You endure it. You sit there. You suffered. You were patient. You persevered. But does it mean that you have your faith? No, it doesn't. It could mean that you endured without going to church, without attending your cell, without reading your Bible, without praying to God, without worshipping. You could endure, but it doesn't mean you've got faith. That's the difference. That's the difference. Faith is an active thing. And when God says, are you loyal and trustworthy with the gospel? The answer is, if you have no faith, you are not trustworthy with the gospel. I give you another example, because this one is, I know it's very close hitting. Marriage or relationship. Sometimes we just endure. We suffer in silence. Or we suffer by complaining to everybody else. And we persevere. <laughs> if I wish I was not in this. Actually, just. But sometimes we don't have faith. Faith is I'm loyal. I'm still loyal. I'm still here. I'm still trustworthy. I will still do my part. I will still love. I will still forgive. I will still, I will still try. I will still put in an effort. I will still have belief. I will still have faith. Can you have a marriage that only endures? Yes, of course you can. Can you have a marriage that endures with faith? Yes, you can. You have a choice to endure with or without faith. You also have a choice to not endure. That's why we've got divorce cases. You can. That's why people leave the faith. You can choose not to endure as well. Here, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a story of this picture, of this ship. 
The ship's name is Endurance. How many know the story of the ship Endurance? By William Shackleton. Hallelujah. You get to hear it from me. Great. This is a ship called Endurance. And obviously, it's shipwrecked. It took researchers 100 years to find this ship. This ship was found, uh, the ship sank in 1915, so it was only found a few years ago, and it was a, it was a full expedition. You can go and Google it. I grew up in, when I was young. I don't know, I'm a weird breed of person, okay? I grew up young. I was actually interested. Um, are they going to find a ship? Are they not going to find a ship? Why? Because they thought the ship was full of gold. Anyways, so it was a treasure hunt, um, but this ship was not full of gold. But this ship sank in 1915 because it carried a crew led by Captain William Shackleton. William Shackleton from the British Empire took 27 men on his quest to be the first men to walk Antarctica on foot. Back, come back to the ship, sail back home. So obviously this is about exploration, about conquering new worlds, or you know, some people came to Malaysia, some people came to India, whatever it is. He decided to go to Antarctica. For whatever reason, we will leave it to him. We will ask him one day in heaven, assuming he's there. Don't know. When he went and he sailed to Antarctica, his ship, as they, 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 they continued down the road, was trapped in ice. Maybe they don't have good navigation back then. Maybe they don't have good bearings back then. Whatever it is, it was trapped in ice in 1915. So they had an option. William had to make the option of abandoning ship, disembarking, or staying on the ship and prayerfully push through the ice. But obviously, it's, a, it's not a modern technology ice-breaking ship. It's this ship. They will never push through the ice. He knows that he's got to disembark the ship. But remember, in, back in those days, there was no SOS. There was no telephone. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no satellite. There was no Starlink that you can just hook and just say, by the way, okay, uh, rescue force, can you come? I'm this coordinate, this coordinate, come and, and rescue me. Back then, you've got nothing. You've got at best SOS telegram, but if the telegram doesn't reach, you've got nothing. So you gotta need to know that when he chose to disembark his ship to walk Antarctica, six months in darkness, six months in light, as we know the, 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 the topography of Antarctica, you have no hope that rescue is coming your way. You will most likely perish in Antarctica. But he's got no choice because he's already trapped in ice. And as the waters beneath the ship continue to freeze, it will break the ship and the ship will sink. So you've got no choice. And that is why the ship sank. And that's why they're still looking for the ship Endurance until today. Because it's, it's, a, good, it's, a, it's a good story to tell. So William and his 27 men, he disembarked. And, he's, and he walked Antarctica, not for one week, not for one month, but for one year. Until some random British ship from England, sailed to Antarctica, found them on the Antarctic, brought them back, brought them home. And when they interviewed William Shackleton and says, how did you survive without a single casualty, 27 of you, in the Antarctica, with no heat, no clothes, right? Uh, no extra clothes, that is, no extra food, and that's about how did you survive? And William Shackleton had one word answer, endurance. I survived because I endured. We survived because we endured. They were trapped, but not crushed. And that is what it means 
by endurance. You see, it says here, if we endure, we will reign with Him. But if we are faithless, to which sometimes we are found faithless in COVID-19, will we also faithful to attend church online? Maybe not. I don't know. Will we also faithful to go to cell every week even though it was on Zoom? Maybe yes. Maybe not. Will we faithful to pray and worship even though we were quarantined at home? Maybe yes. Maybe not. In a marriage or, or in a relationship, whatever it is, we can endure. But are we always faithful? Maybe yes. Maybe not. But the good news in 2 Timothy is if we are found faithless, if we are doubting, if we are given up on our faith, if we are discouraged, if we are disappointed and some of us, maybe you have exercised your whole life, you have ate well your whole life and at the age of 47 you got hit by cancer and you are angry and maybe sometimes we lose our faith because we're angry at God. The good news here is God says you can be faithless but He is still faithful to you. You can be in doubt, but God says, I will still be faithful to you. You can be discouraged, He will still be faithful to you. You could be in a season of dryness, but He will still be faithful to you. You could be in a desert right now. You could be angry at God right now. You could be angry at God, at church, at friends, at leaders, whatever it may be. God says, He will still be faithful. On that cross, He proved His faithfulness to you and to me that He will endure the pain and the suffering of this world in order to be faithful to that cross. And that is how we know that if you're going through a difficult time, God says you endure because when you don't endure, you have disowned. Endure your suffering. Endure your persecution. Push through. Do not give up and do not bow out. Do not step out of the faith. Endure it. Push through. Even though we may be faithless. Because God says, I will be your faith. I will give you that strength. I will carry you through. You can hate me. You can doubt me. You can curse me. You cannot talk to me for six months. I will still be faithful to you. So if you're going through a hard time, I want to encourage you. You may be trapped, but you are not crushed. You may be trapped in your situation, but you are not crushed. It could have been a difficult six months for you, but you are not crushed. He will still be faithful to you. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't bow out. Keep going. Keep pressing. He will be your faith. He will be your strength. He will be your grace. He will be there for you. He will enable you. And I can do all things through Christ who enables me. I can do all things through Christ who enables me. So right now, what I want us to do is I really want the pastors and the leaders to pray because I know there's some of us here we are going through a very difficult time. When I said this at a second service, there's so many people that said, I'm going through a very difficult time. I just need that little bit more faith to push through, a little bit more faith to endure this race. So I would love for us to come up to the altar because we would love to pray that you would have the strength to carry on because Jesus is there for you. He will never let you go. We may have let Him go, 
but He will never let you go. It could be your situation. It could be your children's situation. It could be your health. It could be your work. It could be your family. It could be your relationship. It could be your finances. It could be anything. It could be your sexuality. It could be your gender. We may have given up, but God will never give up on you. Can I invite everybody to stand? As we sing this closing song, the altar calls open, and I just want to ask you to come forward. If you need prayer so that you have more strength, you have more faith to journey on, come on forward, don't be shy. The pastors and the leader would love to pray for you as we sing this song. Thank you, Jesus.